Welcome to the next episode of the Cam Marketing Save the Planet podcast. And today, Gemma and I are thrilled to be joined by Gavin Shepherd, CEO and founder of Pinwheel, and Rob Cheesewright, Chief Impact Officer at Pinwheel. Gavin, Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Hello. So let's kick off with giving us a little bit of an introduction to what is Pinwheel and the work that you do. Thank you. So Pinwheel is a business that enables other businesses to invest in high quality biodiversity and carbon removal projects around the world uh, without filter. So what we don't do is filter on the basis of things like carbon offset credits, although some of our projects provide those. But we're really interested in what are the most powerful, impactful, inspiring projects around the world that businesses can support. And then how do we activate those projects in a way that creates real value for the for the business and for the brand making those investments? Because if the if the brand is getting a return on their investment, then they will do more of it. And if they're doing more of it, then the planet gets a return on that investment as well. And that's what we're really seeking to drive is that benefit for the brand and benefit for the planet. And there are a lot of terms associated with sustainability, aren't there? And you mentioned carbon credits there. There's also carbon capture and there's carbon removal. Could you just to give some clarity to our listeners as we go through this conversation, just explain the differences between those? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean... You often get conflation between carbon removal and carbon capture and storage, and they're completely different technologies. And they come with slightly different challenges. So carbon carbon capture and storage is seeking to capture the carbon that comes largely from a power plant or an industrial process. So it's directly as a result of the emissions happening. Whereas carbon removal is trying to remove carbon from the air, and that is carbon that we've already emitted and needs to be removed. And the reason the distinction is just crucial is because we need to do an awful lot of carbon removal between now and 2050 if we are to avoid horrific levels of warming. But carbon capture and storage is a little bit more controversial because to have carbon capture and storage, it's because you're emitting gas. And if you have carbon capture and storage, there's a chance you could then create more gas assets. So there is just a risk that more CCS means more carbon in the long run whereas carbon removal is an absolutely vital part of the net zero journey. Both may have a role to play, but there should be, um, there's, a, there's a, a nuanced debate around CCS. So just taking it back a bit then into carbon removal and decarbonisation. So it, we talk about net zero and organisations are decarbonising trying to remove, reduce the amount of carbon that they are creating to, to, you know, to put it into a very simple um, outline. And there are different ways they can do that. They can reduce the impacts that they're doing and, and they're looking at across their scopes at that to do that. And then, of course, where they can't reduce that impact, they're looking at offsetting it. And that is that is where you guys step in to support them in offsetting it in a responsible way and these are some of the schemes that you are running uh yes and no okay good <laughs> so the term offset is 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 in, is increasingly controversial and we and we see you know where there's legitimate controversy i think in 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 offsetting is where it is used to claim things like carbon neutrality um in here in 2023 or you know in in the immediate period following so 
it's very difficult to be carbon neutral in 2023. We live in a carbonized uh, economy. And so the very claim of saying we are carbon neutral because we bought a load of carbon credits is inherently quite dodgy in order to, yeah. in order to make. If you, the science and, uh, and, and expert opinion increasingly says that businesses need to do three things. They, and, and, they, and they need to think about them in this order, really. You need to reduce your own emissions and your impact on the, and your impact on the planet. It's, it's much broader than carbon. Um, so, you know, in, in, in running our businesses, not only do we produce carbon, but we have an impact on biodiversity. We have an impact on waste. These things can, you know, conspire together to make the problem, to make the problem worse. So the most important thing you can do to start with is to say, how do we tread more lightly on the planet? How do we reduce our impact on the natural world around us? And that is super, super important. That's about inside of your value chain. Now, outside of your value chain, you need to do, you need to do two other things. So you are reducing inside of your value chain. You then need to remove effectively remove legacy carbon and remove legacy waste um, uh, from the from the natural world so this is about making investments outside of your value chain in projects that do that and do that in a really high quality way and we can come on to what those sorts of projects do but effectively in carbon what we're looking at is is permanent removal or, or, or removal for hundreds or thousands of years. So taking carbon out of the short-term cycle and putting it back into the long-term storage cycle. So that's the, the the remove. And the third thing we need to do is restore. So there has been you know, decimation of, of natural ecosystems and effectively the world's ability to regulate its own temperature and its own environment due to, due to human and business activity. If we, if we are to create a livable healthy planet we need to restore those natural ecosystems in a way that helps the world regulate it itself you know effectively to give mother nature a hand to do what she does best which is to create a balanced ecosystem where where life can thrive on this on this planet and it's those it's those last two bits of the picture that pinball helps with so it's the removal of carbon and it's the restoration of nature you need to do both of those things together and you need to do them as well as reducing uh, uh, your carbon in, in within your own supply chain. Where there are particular problems is where you seek to do something outside of your supply chain, and typically in low quality, you know what we've traditionally thought of as offset projects, things like rainforest protection, large scale energy infrastructure, carbon credits, those sorts of things. Where you are doing those effectively as a mask, or you know, almost as a permission to continue to pollute, and and in replacement of the of the reduction activity you need to do within your own supply chain. So don't do that, but you do need to invest outside of your outside of your direct business operations if you're going to have a a, a holistic and a conclusive response to to these you know super serious issues. Mm. And, and that's where marketers come in because yeah. all of the important work that you do inside your value chain is brilliant but it's very hygiene based you know we've reduced our carbon by three percent this year requires an incredible amount of heavy lifting but very difficult to do communications around what you need are heroes and amazing magical storytelling and it's these restoration projects and these carbon projects outside of your value chain that's where your marketing teams and your colleagues can get really excited about that that magic and storytelling potential so can you give us an example of a carbon removal scheme and how it works? Because like, anyone listening, go and have a look at the Pinwell website. There's some really inspirational uh, stories and things you can be doing that that just bring it to life. But if you guys can give us an example of, of one of those, that would be great. 
mean, one I really love is, is reverse mining. So the problem is that we've taken the coal out of the ground and we've burnt it. Well, we can put it back with fast-growing eucalyptus trees in Australia that can be coppiced on a regular cycle. The biomass that is coppiced can be then reburied underground, safely stored, and that lasts then for thousands of years. So we are taking that coal, we're putting it back in the ground, and because those eucalyptus trees regrow and regrow, it is a, a never-ending carbon pump. And that if we can do that at scale, we can remove just an insane amount of carbon and keep it there forever. I love that. And, and, but you mentioned, you know, this, there is this kind of idea of this license to pollute, you know, all this innovation is fantastic. And, and I know I've looked, you know, I've had a good look around at the work that you do in some of those projects. And there are many brilliant things that, that you, that you showcase, but, but this idea then that, okay, well, we can take that coal out and we have burnt it, but don't worry because now we can invest in this and, and okay. And it is a, it is a, it is a scheme that is genuine and authentic and, and really solving some major problems. And we can put that back underground. How do we ensure that organizations don't just think, well, that's okay because we can carry on doing this and just do that. Yeah. Where is this line of you can't just do that? Yeah, look, the 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 evidence is is clear that you know these the carbon removal solutions and the and the biodiversity solutions, the sorts of things that Pinball funds around the world are, are are insanely effective. You know, beautiful, wonderful, inspiring, effective, high impact projects. Loads of additionality. No amount of those will compensate if we can continue destroying the planet at the same rate. Yeah. So it it is not a uh, uh, it, it it is not a you know solution forever forevermore you know we have to reduce the emissions we have and as I say not just the emissions but our footprint on on the planet and we have to do that you know in a in a scaled and and ultra urgent way that is the most important thing we can do now where is the line between allowing those those sorts of claims. I think regulation is is or, or certainly advertising guidance in the UK and we see regulation around the world catching up quite quickly with this I think is starting to is starting to provide a clearer picture for for businesses and marketeers for for where that line where that line is so we've seen ads for Shell for example banned for talking about their um uh renewable fuel innovations Without talking about the fact that the biggest growing part of their business is in 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 fossil fuels, yeah. and those ads were banned as as a result. As I understand it; those ads were banned as a result of those of, of those claims not being in proper context. And so, you know, if you are, what's becoming very very clear is if you are a business which is harming the planet and which is not doing, you know, everything in your power to reduce your impact on the planet, and you are funding, you know. Potentially shoddy projects, or even some good projects, um, to disguise that, or to, for somehow to 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 continue to have permission to do that, you will get found out pretty quickly. You'll probably get found out by consumers and, and influencers before you get found out by the ASA. Um, but it will, it is becoming a, a regulatory issue, and it's becoming more of a brand risk issue. So I think we will see, and I hope we see, that brands are not prepared to take those sorts of risks. Mm. There was a very interesting test case in Italy. Um, uh, a couple of uh, months ago where under competition law, a brand sued a competitor for making false environmental claims and said it you know, constitu constituted 
unfair trading. And I think as we see these regulations catch up, we'll see you know the the, the wheat being sorted from the chaff pretty pretty quickly in 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 this. So you know don't don't take the risk. I mean that would be my my first piece of advice really to to CMOs and CEOs. You know have we got our house in order? You know ask those questions first before looking at outside supply chain investments. And and frankly, even if you haven't done everything that you need to do, as long as you're on a pathway to do that, then making those outside supply chain investments can be something within that context that you can do very quickly to make a a rapid difference and to to get underway and start doing something now. This is where the mindset says, this is where the mindset shift to contribution is so important because it decouples the harm being done on one side to the good on the other. The problem with compensation approaches or offset or carbon neutral is it aims to say, don't worry, the harm hasn't happened, we've neutralized it. The contribution mindset says, actually, we just need to contribute to the biggest impactful things we can. It is not seeking to chip away the other stuff. It's important, I think, to decouple the harm you're doing in your business and your investment you're making outside of your value chain. Now, contribution approaches are so much cleaner, purer, and more um, rigorous as a result. I think to my mind, as you've been talking there, it's like, the you know, recycling has a purpose, doesn't it? It has taken away a lot of harmful material and, and, and stops it going to landfill, but we've reached a point where waste is just a level that it can't keep up. The system hasn't been invested in. Uh, the the we've changed the color of plastics. We've come up with new materials and all of this. So it 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 served a purpose, but it's almost people saying, "Oh, we can recycle our way out of this. We can't recycle our way out of this." And to your point, we can't remove all the carbon and and keep doing what we're doing. So we have to fundamentally change. So with that in mind, what do businesses need to be aware of? Would you say, and where do they go and look? for obviously pinwheel, but where, where what do you think they need to be aware of when looking into carbon and biodiversity projects? Because there has been a lot in the in the in the on certainly on my LinkedIn profile and across the media about you know schemes where CEOs are resigning because they, they haven't been doing what they say they've been doing. Yeah, I think the best document uh, out there is the WWF's blueprint on this. And it essentially says Reduce your emissions as quickly as you can. Don't take shortcuts with interim claims. Create an internal carbon fee that enables you to fund amazing biodiversity and carbon projects. And and then also advocate for system change. So absolutely the WWF blueprint. I think the other thing to look at then is, is to see some of those case studies. Look at the risks that people are taking and learn from them. So make sure when you're setting an internal carbon fee, it is not a cheap one that only enables you to buy the cheapest project. If you are forced to make some kind of carbon neutral claim, and whilst I wouldn't recommend that, over-purchase on carbon or what we might call vertical stacking to cover yourself against risk, take the contribution approach so that you're not making absolute claims. And that is the biggest mistake people make. It's the mistake Shell have made, but it's also the thing that has cost... um, Anglian Water in, in another ASA finding that came yesterday is if you're making absolute strong, broad claims, you are likely to get stuck. If you are making narrow claims that are just truthful about your activity, you will always be fine. So it's those overclaims you've got to really watch out for. 
I think in, in terms of, of what to look for in, in, in projects, actually the first thing to do is to remove any barriers to, to, to finding and discovering the most impactful projects. So, for example, if you start by saying, well, we're going to make an offset claim, so therefore we need uh, projects that, that produce a, a carbon certificate, which we can retire in this year, then you, instantly this huge part of, of projects is is narrowed down to a you know really a very small number. So don't put in barriers. Seek to fund the most impactful projects. And the stuff that you're looking for there is is really around additionality. What additionality does my funding have? What new activity will take place? Thanks thanks to the funding that I put into this into this project. Um, and that's that is super important because a lot of the activity in this space is things like large scale uh, credits produced by large scale energy infrastructure, but that infrastructure already exists. And so you put in your money into those carbon credits. It's effectively just you know, it's a commercial win for the people who took the uh, uh, the the investment in the wind farm in the first place or the you know, whatever uh, energy infrastructure. But no additional carbon is being removed as a result of, of your cash. So, you know, additionality and then and then broad benefits. You know, does this reduce carbon or remove, does this remove carbon? Does this have a biodiversity, a positive biodiversity impact? Does this have a broad impact in in, in more diverse ecosystems? Are there human and, and 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 social sustainability goals which are met by this project? All of these sorts of things start to help you understand you know what difference is going to be made and and and, and 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 how that impact stacks up against claims that you're going to make against it yeah and they're really critical questions aren't yeah. they about if you're investing you want to know exactly what is being done with the investment and the impact of that investment and 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 actually the accountability of that investment is it doing what it says it's meant to be doing and how do i know how do I see that? How is that evidenced? You mentioned their carbon credits. Can we just unpack that bit a little bit? Because, you know, our listeners, like, like Gemma said at the outset, you know, there are so many different terminologies and so many, the language of this and the complexity of this can become almost overwhelming. I mean, we're training people and they're saying, I don't understand, what is the carbon credit, the carbon thing? Can we just kind of... Yeah kind of set the story straight on those aspects yeah so carbon credit is essentially a, a product a kind of a financial product that says if you purchase this one ton of carbon has been reduced or removed as a result of this project where that gets murky is that people use that as a synonym for carbon offset yes carbon neutral and that's when it starts to get really hard for people to understand the credit essentially says this product removes a ton of carbon that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be used as a carbon offset. Um, that is quite straightforward, really. It removes the time carbon is the, the quickest way. Okay. And I suppose then going into, in, into that is that what I'm hearing from the conversation you're saying about additionality and, and this accountability and understanding that impact is almost that businesses shouldn't just be looking at investing in these projects in because they're trying to clean up some mess over here. They should be doing it anyway because it's yes. the right thing to do for the business and indeed the planet. It, in, in, absolutely, entirely, entirely right. I mean, that's effectively, that's what the, the difference between compensation and contribution is. In and I mean, you just summed it up beautifully, Michelle, in, in a nutshell, which is 
you know, for years we've been on this sort of strategy, or broadly, my business has been on a strategy of seeing these these investments as cancelling out, you yeah. know, a, a negative activity. You know, don't worry about it. See, you know, claims like fly carbon neutral. You can't fly carbon neutral. Um, so, um, uh, you know, cancelling out an activity, and it's almost seen as a sort of, you know, it's a sleight of hand. Don't worry about it. Just don't look over here. Just look over here, this other thing that we're doing. That is, it, it is thoroughly discredited. Um, as a uh, as a model in the eyes of consumers, increasingly in the eyes of, of regulators, what contribution says is that we as a business have a responsibility to to act and to use our resources in a in a sustainable and responsible way. And the investments that we make are in service of doing the right thing, not in service of covering up something shit that we've done. Yeah, <laughs> and that's really important because the question you asked Michelle is about about being the right thing for the business is at the heart of this because if you are just trying to compensate it's essentially a tax yeah there's no value generated from that you can't communicate a carbon credit you can't do storytelling it's a real missed opportunity and if you really want to build your brand you need that storytelling you need that magic and we know that you know, employees will not now work for brands that aren't doing the right thing. Consumers are looking to purchase from the right thing. The finance community is increasingly looking at this. Regulators are coming. So if you actually want this to build your brand, you need to look at it for more than just a kind of regulatory compliance or a tax yeah. basis. Yeah. That contribution mindset. You need the storytelling injected into the whole thing. So it's $2 billion, um, right? The the carbon market is $2 billion worth of corporate inv- investment. And if you look at corporate philanthropy and, and biodiversity funding and so on, it's even greater than that. So this is not only is this this $2 billion, let's just take that, away in, in our mind, a wasted opportunity for the planet because it's not working hard enough to deliver environmental outcomes. But it's a wasted opportunity for businesses as well. You know, collectively, the marketeers, the CMOs collectively – of those businesses who are who are spending two billion dollars on carbon credits, what value is that creating for your yeah. bu- your business? And that's the question I would I'd be asking to to CMOs. You know, you will have a budget line almost inevitably in a decent sized organisation against this sort of stuff. Is it delivering for your brand? Um, and if it's not delivering for your brand, it almost certainly isn't delivering for the planet. Yeah. And so these two things are. These two things are connected, not to mention the fact, of course, that, you know, just being part of a socially responsible, you know, corporate community uh, is good for business because we've seen the impact of floods, the impact of food shortages, the impact of migration, all of these things that climate change is bringing about are, are financial and operational risks manifest for business now. And so taking your role in, in neutralizing those risks into the future is, is is not just a brand responsibility it's a, it's a it's a responsibility to your shareholders and your future shareholders yeah it's interesting isn't it because as the business landscape's changing it can't be all of those costs that businesses sometimes ignore be- or, or let fall because they just sell more just sell more sell more sell more you know, as opposed, it was, you know, we have an interesting chat with Sam Taylor from The Good Factory, and she was talking about, you know, a lot of the budgeting goes into the sale of 
the promotional sale of items. So have less sales. Don't bring out items that you know you're going to trash the price on to get more of them sold. Don't make as many. Save, you know, save downstream those costs. And I think, you know, you talk about, Rob, you talk about the the storytelling and and the marketing communications here and how we talk about these solutions is is critical, uh, but it's also exciting and fun and new, and and gives you a, gives you gives you that evidence and and what you need so you can substantiate. Should somebody ask you how are you making that claim, you've got all of that information and evidence and story there. And you you talk about explore, discover, and fund, which I think is a great model, not just for you know, the businesses that want to buy into this, but investors, that's a great sort of methodology for them and for consumers as well, for citizens, you know, explore, discover, then fund. And I think we need to do more of that. So what advice would you give to marketers on how they can get their audiences engaged around this? Because I, I I think I find it personally, and Michelle finds it personally really, really interesting, but we know we are sometimes in an echo chamber uh, talking to our, talking, you know, to the converted. How do we get everybody to start seeing that what we do has an impact elsewhere? And that's a really that's really important. And these solutions can absolutely help that. Yeah. So I think it's it, it's a huge opportunity. I think for for chief marketing officers and marketing and marketing departments. You know, I I say this as a former chief yeah. marketing officer myself. You know, the, the 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 holy grail I think in 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 marketing is being able to engage in you know one to one conversations between brand and consumer that add value that add value to both. And these sorts of projects provide and these sorts of strategies provide an opportunity to do that. So it's about say rather than taking all of those um, decisions in your boardroom and then just broadcasting to consumers what you've done, which you know as we know is you know number one extremely difficult to cut through to consumers with stuff that that isn't core to their purchase experience and is a, and they don't need to know you know this is this is periphery information that that you know comms has to work very hard to cut through with. But even if it does then cut through to consumers, you're effectively just providing with fait accompli. I've I've done this for you. Um, I've, I've assumed that you're not capable of being involved in this process. And I don't think that, you know, as marketeers, I think we don't give consumers enough credit for being able to understand complex messages and being able to understand, you know, trade-offs in, in, in the way in which, in, in the way in which our brands operate. So, you know, the opportunity for, for CMOs and for marketing teams is to say, you know, let's bring consumers into this conversation. Let's say we're going to, Pinwheel does is enable consumers or employees or other stakeholders or board or communities to engage in the process and have some say in where those investments are made. It's like the, the Waitrose green token thing. You get there, you do your shopping, you get the green token, put it in the box of the charity that you want to support. You know, it, it's a genius move by, by Waitrose because everybody who I tell that story to immediately nods and says, oh yeah, yeah. I, I recognize that. So you know what Waitrose are doing on a local basis. And you feel involved in the in the in the process. The way in which I think Waitress did is fantastic because you 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 get the green token. If you've got kids, they'll give you extra for the kids and so on. So it's not even linked to a purchase. It's just about saying, for this moment in time, let's us the brand and you the consumer collaborate just for 30 seconds to do something positive. And that's really what Pinwheel does in this, in and what our advice of best practices in this area is collaborate with your stakeholders in this process. Say we're going to do some positive things together and we want you to help us decide you know, what we do and we will show you the results of those. Now, there are tons of benefits to marketeers of, in, in that process, 
because it's digital, you get tons of data um, back from that. So you know what consumer preference is. You know the sorts of projects that your consumers want you to fund. You're able to see the sorts of content that they're engaging with and clicking on. And that means that you can start to shape your own communications and your own sustainability practices in a way that you know is going to t- to chime with your consumers and your key and your key stakeholders. Maybe consumers, it may be staff, maybe investors. So it's it's about bringing collaboration to the heart of the process. Boston Consulting Group did some research on this a couple of months ago um, and found that giving consumers a choice of projects to support increased trust in the brand in 73% of cases. So it's it, it's a very, very powerful way to do it. If you are, you know, if you're if you're not doing any of this stuff at all, it's a missed opportunity. If you're funding these sorts of projects and making those decisions in a boardroom and not making those decisions in collaboration with consumers is a huge missed opportunity. Yeah. Or even collaboration with your own employees. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, exactly. and it has benefits from, you know, you about if you give people a choice, if I say, do you think we should invest in seagrass or do you think we should invest in uh, reverse mining, the project that Rob's talked about, you know, as an individual, your natural reaction to that is to say, what are the difference between these these projects? And so it gives you an opportunity to start a, a discussion and a, and a conversation with consumers and individuals, the employees, as you say, about well, what are the differences here? What are the trade-offs? What are the issues that these projects are trying to trying to solve? And that means that as we build that education, we build that sort of consumer knowledge and, and individual knowledge around some of the issues and some of the solutions, we start to create a social movement around, a, you know, a positive social movement around the solutions. And that is empowering for individuals and decisions that they may make in their own lives as well. Yeah. And you can measure it. That's measuring social impact as well, isn't it? Which is one of the metrics that that really struggles, you know, that businesses really struggle. How can I measure my sustainability impacts over and above the numbers? That That's yeah. a brilliant way to do that because you can report back on the project that your community, whether it's your consumers or your employees, have made the joint decision to take forward. You can absolutely, you can measure it in terms of your social impact and you can measure it in terms of your brand impact. You know, you can yeah. put this into your continuous tracking and understand how, you know, how much more uh, likely consumers are to recommend your brand if they've been involved in the collaboration around the projects yeah. that you that you sell. So, you know, you can you can tie this directly back to the bottom line. And that's what, you know, when we started Pinball, we felt passionately that it had to happen because, yeah. as you know, businesses, we would love all businesses to be altruistic in, you know, in, in nature. The reality is they're not, you know, we, we they exist and we exist as a money making machine. And so you have to be able to, to, you know, activate that profit driver in order to, in, in order to make the case for this sort of, for this sort of activity, if you want it to scale as quickly as it needs to scale. Because if we wait for the, you know, if, if we wait for the sort of, you know, the holier than thou sort of um, uh, community in order to in order to do this, we will wait too long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's such a, a critical point, and it's it's a point of tension we hear all the time. You know, so that building that business case, having that tangible evidence to support that scale, to support that, and also this is. You know, as we said, this is a beautiful way of bringing your audiences with you, whoever that audience may be. You know, they are part of this journey, which empowers them in in that decision making. Are you seeing then more appetite for this? Have you seen shifts as people have started to become more knowledgeable, more responsible, 
this desire to be more accountable and more, I suppose, participative with their audiences in this space? Yes, absolutely. And it's really picked up in the last few months. You know, when we when we first launched at COP26 and first started talking about this contribution model, we were an outlier. We were probably the only one in the UK. And whenever we said anything, people said, that sounds really good, but I need to buy carbon credits. I've been I've told everyone I'm going to be carbon neutral. And then partly as a result of the Guardian exposés on carbon offsets, but also I think brands increasingly starting to understand that they're missing the opportunities that Gavin talked about. We have seen that go from a trickle to a flood in terms of people coming to us and saying, Mm -hmm. actually, we need to go this way. We've realized that if we particularly go down the carbon offset route, we are just taking an enormous risk with our brand and its reputation, but also just there's no way of leveraging it. So it's a complete double loss. And I, I think in, 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 you know, harsh economic headwinds as well, uh, businesses and, and, and certainly marketeers are, are saying, well, what levers do I have to pull in, in, in order to, you know, increase, increase my sales, increase my profitability, increase my customer engagement and are starting to, you know, understand that these investments have a dual, uh, uh return for the, for, for the business. It's the right thing to do, but it's also the best business thing to, to do. Marketers really understand this. You know, we often talk to chief sustainability officers or chief finance officers, and they 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 sort of get the financial side and often get the ecology. Where marketers get really excited is is just how this can be manned from heaven. You know, we've all worked for brands and we go, what is the new angle here? What is the, the, yeah. the new story we can tell? Always looking for that piece of magic. And then this comes to them and I go, oh wow, this is a really good opportunity to say something new, distinct. You get brand ownership for something really powerful. And it's it's remarkable how often we have fantastic functional conversations with, with fellow environmentalist geeks like me, and then have these creative, engaging conversations with marketing teams who just get kind of blown away by the opportunities. And you see their brains going as they go, oh my God, what we can do with these creative ideas and, and run with it. And because they're projects that 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 give back and regenerate and restore they keep going and going and going so they're not a campaign they're not a one shot it's world plastic day and we've just done a beach clean and then we're all going to go back and do our own thing this is something that you can talk about your progression over and over and over again it's a continuous conversation isn't it and that's that's something that I think you know you're not constantly thinking of oh what's our new angle here you are literally growing on what you've started and I think that is the beauty of of these projects where you're working with nature to, to do good as opposed to, you know, moving your food, food around on the plate and saying that you've, you've, you've taken yourself down to carbon neutral. Nobody understands it and okay. nobody cares because they don't understand it. You talk about what you're doing to, you know, for the future generations and how you're doing it and restoring nature. That's a beautiful story. And, and you can absolutely right, Gemma, and you can put these, you can deploy these projects, um, you know, in a portfolio that works to, together. So, you know, we often talk about, you know, seagrass has been 35 times, Rob, as, um, uh, as faster than land-based trees of removing carbon. But in order for seagrass to be healthy and to do that at, at an optimum rate, it needs sea turtles to to effectively farm it and, and, and maintain its health. Um, sea turtles are under threat from plastics mm. and destruction of beach insights. But so if you protect sea turtles, their beach insights, and you, uh, and you remove plastics from the ocean, you get more sea turtles, which means healthier seagrass. Seagrass causes 
uh, plastids to clump up in a in a phenomenon known as Neptune balls, which which allows them to wash up on the on the shores much more um, easily, which means benefit for sea turtles, which means benefit for seagrass, which means less carbon. Yeah. It, and so these benefit things, for humans. Yeah, exactly, yeah. benefits humans. Exactly. And so you know, if you if you were a brand that says, okay, we're going to invest in sea turtle protection, seagrass um, plantations, and plastic removals. You've got a wonderful story to tell, not just about those individual projects, but about the ecosystem that you are, the broad ecosystem that you are supporting. And there's there is just beauty in that storytelling. You're absolutely right, Gemma. It is a it is a long term story. It's not a one off intervention. Yeah. This is this is where biodiversity is so crucial as well. By the way, because I suspect there'll be a few people listening to this going. I thought carbon was the issue here. We, we've got to deal with our carbon. I, it's all about carbon, isn't it? It's crucial. Of course, it's crucial. And we need to deal with carbon. But biodiversity drives so much powerful engagement. And we've seen it in, in the data as well. So biodiversity is far more powerful in driving purchase decisions than carbon. And it stands to reason. What is a ton of carbon? I mean, I talk about carbon credit being a ton of carbon, and we all nodded together. But yeah. what is a ton of carbon? Whereas... If you talk about sea turtles or you talk about wolves and you explain that the impact they can have in the ecosystem is tangible and it's real. And the, the latest data is that it even can drive a higher purchase price. So if you really want to drive some of those consumer metrics, biodiversity projects are a really powerful driver. Yeah. yeah. So it really is utilising marketing as a force for good. Yeah. Yes, entirely. And that's where we all want to get to. Oh, my goodness. I'm so inspired and I'm so delighted to, to hear that you are being flooded with, uh, with inquiries because uh, that's heartening, isn't it? That's really heartening, uh, particularly when you look at some of the headlines and you just think, come on, we've got to do better. So it's good that brands are getting behind this and thinking, how do we do this better? Help us. We want to genuinely do this. We don't want to be greenwashing. You know, we want to do the right thing. So that's... That's really heartening. And of course, making it simple, accessible, people understanding the differences of the terms. It, 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 there are those complexities. And again, that's where marketers can come in and not just tell the story, but also support the actual translation. Yeah, exactly right. So we like to wrap up the podcast with three quickfire questions. We're going to come to each of you on the first two and then it would be great to have an answer from both of you on the last question, if that's okay. So I'll start with uh, the question and either one of you. So it's going to go to Gavin first. Can marketing save the planet? What's your view? Yes, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, in, in, in not just getting your house in order and all of those things that as marketeers we are responsible for, you know, the whole product, product process, absolutely that has to be driven by, uh, by sustainable uh, initiatives. But in doing this sorts of things, we find that CMOs, where a CMO is the lead executive who's responsible for these decisions, the deal gets done quickest. That in every client that we have, if the CMO was involved, it gets done really, really quickly. And so, yes, CMOs, marketing can absolutely save the planet. Absolutely. And Rob, what do you hope business looks like in 10 years time? I think I'm looking forward to a world in which businesses are firstly well on with their journey towards net zero, and they're doing that really conscientiously. So they know that they're not there yet. They're not taking shortcuts. 
they're not looking for kind of quick wins anymore and low-hanging fruit. They're really starting to tackle the business transformation. And they have now spent quite some time funding brilliant work outside of their value chain and started to get learnings around how to do that well, have made some mistakes and have started to scale up and really get into that collaborative space with their consumers and stakeholders. Beautiful, beautiful. And I love that conscientiously. Such a such a, the 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 right word you know that there is this consciousness around all of that beautiful and then last but not least gavin if you were to give one piece of advice to others getting started with this particular project what would it be just fucking do it <laughs> jdfi get on with it do something now put a toe in the water Divert some budget and do something. Now, Bob Geldof, do you remember Bob Geldof at oh, Live? Yeah. Get on the fucking, give your fucking, <laughs> that, is, that is what they have to, businesses have to do that now. If you're listening to this and you think, I want to do something this, do it tomorrow. Do it straight away. You know, don't procrastinate. Don't hang about. Just get something started. You can grow it. You can scale it. You can change it. You can get learnings from it. But none of that happens unless you just get on with it. Brilliant. And we'll have to follow that. How are you going to follow that, Rob? I, I think I mean, that is at the heart of it. I think we had a period of inertia, particularly as we've there's, there's lots of confidence in in offsets, and also the economic situation has meant that budgets have been cut. I think it is now the stage of get on with it, do it. Actually, there aren't that many risks because you can change, you can you can move the strategy. So it is just get on with it now. Work with some good experts and and spend some money saving the world. Absolutely, because I mean, the more businesses that just fucking get on and do this, <laughs> it's a good for the good end, isn't it? <laughs> Literally, the more those businesses who are reluctant for whatever reason will start to have to join the party, and that I think is a. I mean, listening to lots of podcasts at the moment, we're talking about you know some businesses are going, well, I'm not going to go first because they might start undercutting me somewhere else and I don't trust they're going to do the same thing. Let's all just move together because it doesn't matter in about 10 years' time. We're going to be in a very different place if we don't. So let's just move forward. And and the more people that move forward, this movement just starts to grow and then change will happen very quickly, hopefully. You can either be a leader or a follower in this space. You will have to do it. Yes. So you might as well get on and do it now and be a leader and, and get some learnings and get some experience and, and, and be your, at the top of your game rather than being, you know, seen as a laggard and dragged and scream, screaming towards it. You know, whatever happens, you'll have to do it. So you might as well own it and get on. And, you know, if you've got, I don't know, whatever, five grand, ten grand, just get on, just yeah. make it available and just yeah. crack on and do yeah. something. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so where can people find out more about the brilliant work that you're doing, the fantastic investments that they can make with you guys uh, to make a real difference? Where do you want to send our listeners? Uh, Pimmel.earth is the uh, is the place to go. And uh, you can you can book a call there with one of our experts with Rob. Um, and we're doing lots and lots of one to one briefings on this at the moment. There's tons of resources and um, we're having lots of conversations, which which we love. So, yeah, just just um, look us up and uh, and we'd love to talk more. Fantastic. Well, we will make sure all of that information is in the show notes. We'll also put a link to the WWF blueprint in there as well, uh, which Rob said is a critical starting point as well. Um, And I know you have other resources on your site, so we'll direct people there and people can have a really good dig around. Fabulous. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. 